Please remain standing and pray with me. Father, we are thankful this morning that you are our God. We are your people. It is you who have made us and not we ourselves. Lord, as we come to the preaching of your word, I know myself very well. I have nothing to say unless you say it. I can't even understand your writings, Lord, without the assistance and aid of your spirit. So, Lord, use this time. Use me, your servant, to convey the message you want to convey today. That there is yet hope for those who believe. And we are thankful. And we ask this all in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. All over uh, social, well, I wouldn't say all over, but a lot of people in social media and in conversations have all asked pretty much this question. Is 2020 over yet? <laughs> it's taking forever. And if we look at the news, there's good reason for that. I've looked up a few statistics and things about the effects of COVID-19 and J.C. Penney and Brooks, Brooks Brothers, J. Crew, Haynes Mall, and Friendly Shopping Center have all filed Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection. Chanel, Hermes, and Rolex have all stopped production just when I thought I was getting my watch. <laughs> production has stopped. Nike, stage two layoffs. Nike, meaning victory, and they're laying people off. Starbucks, closing 400 stores. It is estimated that over 72,000 businesses have closed permanently. Roughly 14 million have filed for some sort of unemployment assistance. And it all leads us to the common prayer on my lips these days. Oh God, really? A friend of mine even sent me a little message saying I'm not counting 2020 in my birthday years because I didn't get to use it. <laughs> we live in a peculiar times. And I'm glad for the lectionary because it was compiled so long ago and yet speaks to us every day. Our reading from Isaiah is where I'm going to focus. I told him in the first service I don't really know what the other readings were. This was the one that jumped, and if it jumps, I have to hunt that. And uh, this is where we're going to spend our time today, Isaiah 51. Isaiah was writing to a people that were in exile. They were on serious lockdown. Everything they knew had changed. They were far from their homes. They didn't even know if their home was still in existence. Everywhere they looked, there was no sign of hope. No sign of things changing. They're in a foreign land serving a foreign god and a foreign pagan king. 
And Isaiah writes these words to them that we read this morning. And I will read them again to you. Listen to the voice of the Lord this morning. Just the first couple of verses of our reading. Listen to me, you who pursue righteousness, who seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were hewn and to the quarry from which you were dug. Look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah, who bore you. For he was but one when I called him, that I might bless him and multiply him. For the Lord comforts Zion. He comforts all her waste places and makes her wilderness like Eden, her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her, thanksgiving and the voice of a song. With no reason to have hope, God challenges his people and he challenges us this morning to have hope. Listen to me, you guys, you're trying, you're serving, you're seeking, you're, you're longing for God to come. And he reminds us to look at something, to look to the rock from which you were hewn, the quarry from which you were dug. Look to Abraham and Sarah. In a great despair and no sign of improvement, God challenges them and us to look at Abraham and Sarah's life. What did they do that will help us through this time? What did they do that would be an encouragement to these people in exile so long ago? And the very first thing we see with Abraham is, number one, he was willing to give up everything to God. He didn't hold anything back. He was even ready to sacrifice Isaac. And it says in Hebrews that he left, not knowing where he was going. He didn't have his GPS all planned out. He didn't have a paper map. Anybody remember paper maps? When we were in England and in London, I was really amazed at this. They didn't have a map. They had a whole book. It was called A to Z, because that's really what it is. It's not Z. It's Z, just so you know. Now you know. It was an entire book of every road in the city of London. Abraham didn't have that. I told them at the first service, I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall in the tent of Abraham and Sarah. On that morning when Abraham said, Sarah, let's go. Where are we going? I don't know. How are we going to get there? Probably we're going to walk. They got cars yet. How long will it take? I don't know. How will we know when we get there? I don't know. What is it like where we're going? I told you. I don't know. But both of them had the guts to step out in faith. Now, Abraham didn't come from some measly little family. His dad big time. And he chose to leave the comfort of familiarity and predictability of his father's house to totally, unreservedly, without question, trust God not knowing where he was going or what it was like or how long it was going to take there or if he was even going to like where he was going. Are we willing to give up everything to are we willing to take, at the risk of sounding like Abba, take a chance? 
Take a chance on God. A young man traveling in South Alabama. Anybody been to South Alabama? We think we have humidity? No. No. They've got doctorate degrees in humidity. This was one of those hot days. You could see the air. It was that thick and heavy. This man was walking along. He saw a watermelon stand. He went and picked out his watermelon, and he asked the proprietor, how much does this cost? The man said, a dollar and ten cents. The young man said, well, all I have is a dollar. Oh, it's okay, the proprietor said. I'll trust you for it. He gets his watermelon. He says, that's mighty nice of you. He proceeds to leave and sit down on the bench outside to eat his watermelon. And the owner of the shop says, hey, whoa, 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 whoa. Where are you going? The young man goes, I'm going to go out here and eat my watermelon. Because it's like 98 degrees with 112% humidity. You said you would trust me for it, the young man says. Yeah, the owner says, but I meant I will trust you for the dime. At which the young man said, buddy, you weren't going to trust me at all. You were just going to take a 10 cent gamble on my integrity. How many of us take 10 cent gambles on God's integrity? We will trust him to an extent, but we love to remain in a sense and in a state of controlled comfort predictability, don't we? But God asks us to trust him with everything, to leave all our hopes and dreams at his feet. To go all in, to use a poker term, all in. Every single chip. Don't keep nothing back. Peter took that kind of risk this morning in the gospel. When Jesus says, but who do you say I am? Peter, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Bold statement. Everybody else thought he was just a good teacher and a carpenter's son. And God asks us to leave everything at his feet, to take a chance on him. And God never leaves us empty. If he asks us to put something down, it's because he wants us to pick up something better. And we may not always understand why he's asking us to do it at the moment. And, shocker, we don't need to understand. I know we live in an information age and we have an information superhighway and we want to know everything about everything. But sometimes when it comes to God's plan in our life, he doesn't need us to necessarily understand at the moment. He needs obedience. And as a, a good friend of mine from Hippo, St. Augustine said, understanding is the reward of faith. Therefore, seek not to understand that you may believe, but believe that you may understand. And there was a lot of times in my life that I did not understand. When uh, Shell and I got married, we got married on the day of Princess Diana's funeral. And we lived in England. We loved it. Our, the church that we planted was thriving and growing. And we were excited. Nadine was about a year and a half old. Everybody loved her. She was like the star. She was the princess child. 
of the Lord's church. And uh, God was good. And times were good. And then God sent that word of, I don't, I didn't understand why. Go to the Philippines. Well, I'm going to tell you because she's here today and she can get, I, I'll get in trouble later, but it's okay. Show was really mad with me for quite some time over that. And I would ask God, why do we have to go to the Philippines? And it was there, certain things happened, and he revealed to me going down the road one day that he sent me to the Philippines for one person. Because I love my people that much. We also were introduced to the Charismatic Episcopal Church in the Philippines. And if I would have never been in the CEC as a priest, I would have never met Father David George. And if I would have never met Father David George, I would have never met Christ Church. And imagine how sad you would be if you had never met me. That's why God sent us to the Philippines. Don't strike me down, Lord, it was just a joke. But the question of the day and the question that Abraham answered that we must answer in our lives, are we willing to let God grip us by his power and grace and do a work in us that is worthy of himself? Not what I want him to do. Because if it was my way, I would be in Edinburgh, Scotland, playing golf on Mondays and preaching on Sundays. But God has a greater work. Are we willing to let him grip us? Secondly, what can we learn from Abraham's life? Our father, the rock from which we were hewn. Don't fret the waiting. Between the promise of Abraham's promised son and the actual birth of that promised son, took around 25 years. Wow. That's a long time to wait. But in our world, we don't really like to wait at all, do we? Who enjoys waiting? Who loves to see all the lights red? <laughs> Nobody. Who loves to see more than two people in the checkout line at the grocery store? Nobody. We don't like to wait. But waiting is part of the plan. And Abraham and Sarah, in the midst of their waiting, and I'm so glad that the scriptures do not hide our forefathers' imperfections and shortcomings. Mistakes and all. It's in the Bible. Abraham and Sarah got a little of what I call impatient practicality in the midst of their waiting. They began to fret. And, they, and Sarah came up with this great idea. Go, I got this uh, servant, Hagar. You know, she's kind of cute. I see her looking at you, Abraham, and a little twinkle in the eye. And she's my servant. And if she has your child, technically it's my child because she's my servant. She's my property. The child will be my property. So we can help God out. God doesn't need our help. 
God doesn't need us to come up with our own Hagar and Ishmael, a plan to help God along. Times look bad. There's stuff going all around, but there's only one thing that God needs from us. Waiting. A faithful waiting. And St. Clement of Alexandria said it is a voluntary, voluntary anticipation. I anticipate, God, you're going to do what you promised. I'll wait for it. I'm not going to rush. Because how many of us have made rash, snap decisions that turned out good? Nobody? Gee, I wonder why the Lord says those who wait on me will never be put to shame. And we must understand why not to fret during the waiting because the waiting is critical in God's process. The waiting is critical in God's process. By waiting, God strengthens our desire. By strengthening our, des our desire, he enlarges our soul. And that enlarges our capacity to receive. St. Augustine again, I'm on the Augustine train, buddy. I'm telling you, I'm not getting off of it. Anybody that can write a book of confessions that looks like an encyclopedia has my vote. But he said this when someone wrote him and asked him, why does the Lord ask us to pray when he already knows what we need before we ask? That's a good question. I'm glad I didn't have to answer it. I'll let him answer it for why we should pray when he already knows what we need before we ask him may perplex us if we do not realize that our Lord does not want to know what we want, for he cannot fail to know that, but wants us rather to exercise our desire through our prayers. Exercise our desire through our prayers so that we may be able to receive what he is preparing to give us. His gift is very great indeed, but our capacity is far too small and limited to receive. That is why we are told, enlarge your desires and do not bear the yoke with unbelievers. Exercise your desire through prayer. After all, how can we Pray without ceasing by keeping that desire burning like vigil candles before the Lord. There's been many times that God has answered the desires that I have placed before him without any words coming out of my mouth. He answered those desires because desires are that prayer before God that never ceases. So I challenge you Place your desires before God. Don't fret about the process of waiting and it doesn't look like what you want to see, but keep those desires burning before God and wait for him to do it. Now, all of us love to have something to do, don't we? Because after all, the first question we normally ask people the first time we meet them, other than, hi, what's your name? What do you do? We are fascinated with doing, so God gives us something to do while we're waiting. That's the third thing we can learn from Abraham. And that is to focus on the promises. 
or as Journey sang so well, don't stop believing. Forget about the midnight train going anywhere, just don't stop believing. Don't worry about keeping the feeling, just don't stop believing. Because Romans 4 tells us that Abraham never stopped believing. Journey's in the Bible. Abraham never stopped believing God's promises. For he was made strong in his faith to father a child. And because he was mighty in faith and convinced that God had all the power needed to fulfill his promises, Abraham glorified God. He never stopped believing. And we can all see things around us going bad. We can see the circumstances. We can watch the news and get discouraged and dismayed. But look what God said he's doing and will do for his people. God will comfort all our waste places. Makes our wilderness like Eden. Our desert like the garden of the Lord. Beautiful images. Eden, comfort, garden of the Lord. And it all comes down to what are we looking for? Because you will always find and see what you are looking for. If you're looking for reasons to be negative and grouchy, you're going to find them. If you're looking for reasons to be discouraged and give up, you'll find them and they'll be knocking on your door. Probably your boss is one of the reasons. Didn't mean to say that. But you will find what you're looking for. I work, and God challenged me with this because I work in downtown Winston. Don't get too excited. I'm on the rough side. I'm right on the border where they made all those improvements, and then here we are. I go to work every day to a building that is over 100 years old, and it shows. It's like a circus house. It's like a little house of horrors in like old circuses. The floor is leaning. You can't even, you know, you set your drink on the desk, it slides out. I mean, that's how bad it is. You can't keep anything clean because it's 100 years, there's over 100 years worth of dust and dirt in that thing. And I work with people that are beautiful and interesting. Dealing with multiple personalities, sometimes in the same person. And God challenged me in my morning coffee time, look for me walking up and down those hallways. Look for me cleaning up the mess that someone else made. Look for me in the dust and the dirt of that 100-year-old building. Because if you decide to look for Jesus, you will find him. And here's the wonderful part. Your circumstances won't change. The building's still over 100 years old. It's still basically falling apart. It's still dirty. But I change. I see the Lord. Focus on the promise. He said, I'll be with you. Look for it. An old song that my grandfather used to sing goes like this. 
Standing on the promises that cannot fail. When the howling storms of doubt and fear assail. By the living word of God I shall prevail. Standing on the promises of God. There's only one thing I know of that has a 100% guaranteed rate of success. And that's the word of the Lord. Nothing else I can think of. That's the word of the Lord. And that's why God challenged Abraham, focus on the promises. Don't stop believing. How do we do that? I'm going to let you in on something that I've been doing for a little over a year now. Are you ready? At 3.20, I have an alarm on my phone. And I'm thankful for that phone because it has like five different alarms on it. And I was thinking about that the other day. If I didn't have that phone, I would have to have five alarm clocks. I don't really want five alarm clocks, but one phone takes the place of that. But this alarm goes off at 3.20. Why 3.20? All my people at work think, oh, it's because you're about to get off work. I said, no. But at 3.20, it goes off, and I recite and pray and confess Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who is able to do super abundantly more than all that we dare ask or think according to his power at work in us. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus forever and ever. I like the word superabundantly. That's a God word. Super abundantly. More than all that we dare ask or think. He's able to do super abundantly anything you, more than you can infinitely imagine. How? According to his power at work within us. Not circumstances. Not bank accounts. Not ingenious plans of practicality and predictability and comfort but his power at work in us what is that power that absolute trust that Abraham shows us in the midst of our mini exile also known as COVID pandemic I want you to know God has you in the grip of grace a grip that is strong and sure, it will not let you go. And while you are in that grip, remember the words, remember what we learned from Abraham. Be willing to give up everything for God. Don't fret the waiting. Focus on the promises. How did it work for Abraham? That's what I asked myself. How did it turn out for Abraham? And this was the description at his death. This was what was written of him as he went on to be with the Lord. Then Abraham breathed his last, and he died at a good old age, a man satisfied with life. Isn't that beautiful? And I want to let you know, no matter what is happening in our world, as we say in the rough side of Winston, 
God's got you. Don't give up. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.